Meet the Mequonics is now sponsored by Audible.com. As part of this sponsorship, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so you can check out the range of titles that they're offering. Currently, Audible has over 180,000 books to choose from for either your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To help support this podcast, please go to www.audibletrial.com slash And now, on with our next episode. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, thanks again uh, for those of you who have chosen to download the podcast. I'm extremely sorry for the delay between our last episode at the end of June and what's now basically the end of September. Um, I have been a little bit busy and have let the podcast sort of slide a little bit. I will hopefully remedy that situation uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, with more and more podcasts. Uh, a few people have actually emailed me asking for the next one, so here it is. And I'm delighted today uh, to be joined by Nana Lu, who is a postdoc at the National University of Singapore with CQT there and the Singapore University of Technology and Design. And Nana is currently at the Heidelberg Laureate Forum, which some of you may have seen. There's been a lot of uh, Twitter activity, uh, sort of tweeting out slides and information of talks that are happening there. So Nana has graciously uh, agreed to come on the podcast and give a little bit of a field report and let us know what's happening in Heidelberg. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, Simon. So um, some people may have heard of this. um, Some people might not have. Um, so maybe you can give us a little bit of a background of what is the Heidelberg uh, Laureate Forum and basically what's been going on this week. Oh, actually, so on the first question, Simon, I've already heard of it uh, maybe six months ago uh, when I was actually asked to come. <laughs> oh, okay. so, so, I, so I can perfectly understand if you know physicists haven't heard of this. Uh, it's an initiative that started five years ago. So this time it's the fifth Heidelberg Laureate Forum. Uh, and it's supposed to be the mathematics, computer science equivalent of something called the Lindau Foundation uh, Forum, which is where they gather what they call laureates, so winners of uh, awards like you know the Turing Award or the Fields Medal, mm-hmm. uh, you know from you know across mathematics and computer science, uh, to come together in conjunction with young researchers uh, in these various fields, and basically a networking opportunity for for everybody. Uh, and a, uh, an opportunity for the young researchers to come in contact with other young researchers in, you know, rather different fields, but you no, know, that may be related. But also with the laureates themselves, and also an opportunity for the laureates to mentor the the younger researchers and give them some uh, more philosophical guidance, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, so, yes. was this? You, you mentioned you were asked to go. Is this an invitation-only event, or do you have to apply, or something like that, or can anyone sort of show up, or positions limited? Yeah. Uh, the positions are limited. You are either invited or uh, you can put in nominations. So I'm actually here not as a young researcher, but as part of the blog team. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so initially it was my uh, advisor, Joe Fitzsimons, who was invited because he's uh, he writes a blog. Uh, and I asked for some uh, writing opportunity to improve my <laughs> writing skills, you know, mm-hmm. for papers, and, you know, for various things. So and that's how I got involved. So Joe sent me instead. Uh, and actually, so initially I came here because I never heard of the Heidelberg Laureates Forum. So I came here with the intention just to improve my writing and my communication skills, the kind of soft skills um, kind of areas. Mm-hmm. But actually, since coming here, it's been scientifically fruitful for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so it's it's been a very pleasant surprise. Uh, yes. I mean, it, 
when you say that you sort of um, were applying just to, to improve your sort of soft skills in terms of writing, is, is this because of an inherent interest that you have in science communication or is it just, you know, because those of us who do this stuff usually are terrible at writing? Uh, well, it's, it's not so much just only the writing. I just find that, you know, by improving writing, I actually, it's a way of improving my thought procedures as well, mm -hmm. you know, and coming up with new ideas. Um, yeah, so by being more fluent in these areas, it, it really just helps me, like both re in research and in just explaining to other people what I'm doing uh, and helps my listening skills as well. That's probably an extraordinarily good idea. Um, <laughs> something I should have done a long time ago. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very lacking, so I'm, <laughs> I'm helping to improve myself. Yeah. Well, we're all scientists. I think uh, a lot of us are generally lacking in these kind of skills. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but oh, it's good that these, oh, sorry. Uh, I, yeah, so it's good that there are these kinds of um, areas where it's not sort of uh, a very specialized area mm -hmm. where you're just talking about your very specific topics. You really uh, are really reaching out towards a very broad spectrum of researchers who are very, are very good in their particular area, but who might know nothing whatever about, say, quantum technology. So mm -hmm. I think I'm the only quantum physicist here. So I'll be covering the quantum part. Uh, so look out for the blogs on the Heidelberg Laureate Forum website. Mm -hmm. I'll be covering the quantum section. Yeah. So um, that's actually, I mean, that's, that's quite an interesting thing from the context of, of this podcast and the fact that there has been, at least from what I've seen from the speakers, there quite a strong quantum contingent this time around. There's been uh, quite a few researchers from, from the major sort of tech companies who are developing quantum technology, a couple of the startups and a couple of well-known... Uh, uh, well-known quantum computing researchers. Um, so, is, are they the yeah. only ones representing quantum there, or is there there more people sort of lurking around? Or as you said, you're the only one in the audience that's focusing on this stuff. Well, actually, so um, maybe let me step back a little bit just for <laughs> um, for a bit of perspective on the actual conference. So um, now I mentioned this is a fifth uh, time this forum has been held. Uh, and it's mostly pure mathematics and classical computer science. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is a really, I think, the first time, just looking you know, at all the programs that occurred before, this is really the first time that physics is really playing uh, a big role uh, in, at, at this kind of forum. So there, if you look at all the other talks, actually there's only one day in which quantum, uh, quantum physics features, and that's in the quantum computing session or yesterday, which is why I, I said uh, we did the podcast today. Mm -hmm. uh, and so every year they have something called a hot topic. So, for example, last year was artificial intelligence, uh, and, the, and this year is quantum computing. Mm -hmm. But all the rest of the days they talk about, you know, everything classical. Uh, and in just speaking to people uh, around, so all the participants, actually, I would say I haven't met... Uh, well, they're, they're very few. So there may be people working on topological quantum computation mm -hmm. uh, and, and people in the audience who know. I mean, uh, topological quantum computation, you know, a lot of the interest is really in the mathematics of, of um, I mean, maybe some people disagree, especially from Microsoft. But, but really, I mean, I, I actually, I mean, I, um, I spoke to Jennifer uh, Chais, who's the head of Microsoft. So she, uh, she told me she's the one who hired Michael Friedman about 19 years ago. Oh, really? And Michael Friedman was, yeah, Michael Friedman uh, was you know, a mathematician. Uh, he was known in pure mathematics and topology in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently Jennifer said that she taught him physics. Uh, and it was really Michael uh, and uh, his associates, I mean, I guess their decision to topological quantum computing. Uh, so, so in that sense, 
yeah, it's it's sort of from the more mathematical perspective. People are interested in the mathematics because you know people haven't really created you know anions to <laughs> uh, to, to form qubits now. So that's uh, so from that perspective, there there have been people, but I would say in general, it's mostly just classical mm-hmm. uh, classical cryptography, classical con- uh, classical computing. It's it's they're, they're so classical that no one calls it classical computing. It's just computing. It's just computing. <laughs> yes, I mean we're yes. the only ones who do this. We have to make a <laughs> exactly. distinction. So, I mean, being a, obviously a quantum researcher yourself, I mean, how did the crowd seem to react um, to this being a topic and, and especially with all the development uh, going on? Actually, it's, it's quite exciting because when I came here, I, uh, just for a bit of background, I mean, I, I've spoken to other, you know, classical computer scientists before and asked them, you know, what do you actually think about, you know, this whole quantum thing? Uh, and it was even when I asked, maybe even two years ago, I asked, um, and everybody was saying, actually, maybe only, you know, 10% of computer scientists, you know, even even consider, you know, quantum uh, computing, and most of them, it's more of a out there kind of topic for them, mm-hmm. uh, and it's yeah, more of a hobby maybe for for, for some for some people. I think but, from an academic know, just, standpoint, yes. Yeah, um, but you know, there's already so much to do in classical computing. Uh, you know, with all machine learning and all these things, and there's really a lot to do. So, you know, they don't really um, focus on that. And to be fair, um, I think uh, it's yeah, it's fair for them to do that because a lot of these applications they don't really um, they won't be available until we have very very big you know scalable um, computers. So not in the near term will you know, will we get anything that will be of interest uh, for them. Sure, I mean that that's certainly understandable from that point of view. Um... Mm-hmm. Were they were they surprised about the the, the experimental development and yeah know, so so what was interesting mm-hmm. oh I suppose um, the question sorry, was Simon. sorry there's a little sorry, bit of a Simon, delay you here. go first sorry no I suppose the the question was is that um, certainly people uh, who are not intricately involved in quantum computing and quantum technology research um, may sort of still think it's a bit of a pipe dream that. You know, sort of like fusion or, or something else. One of these technologies that's always ten years away, always ten years away, always ten years away. Um, whereas, as you know, um, within the field, there has been quite significant technological development on the experimental side. And considering the names who were there uh, presenting, I was wondering as to to whether that message landed with people outside of our community. Uh, yeah, so so what was really surprising to me is really the the great interest that people have. So um, I was quite popular at this conference because I guess not many people even know what a qubit is. So mm-hmm. I'll actually you know, be writing a blog on you know what is a qubit, you know, for for people who don't who don't even know what that is. So um, but but now people are really getting interest and in, like on that topic of great technological advancements. So there were three um, our experimentalists there, so and representing you know the three um, or the the two big architectures right now, like iron traps and superconducting qubits. So IBM's Dega Banta, mm-hmm. uh, John Martinez from Google, and Chris Munro, the, mm-hmm. the iron trap, <laughs> the iron trap guy. So what was really interesting, so is, so for example, John Martinez will report on what is the latest that they have. And what's really surprising, so they're told, well, not, not really surprising, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but re- really still, uh, still a great surprise say, compared to like a year or, or two years ago, sure. that now they're testing a 22 qubit um, superconducting uh, circuit. Mm-hmm. And he claims that by, that by the end of the calendar year, they will be building a quantum device for testing quantum supremacy. Like it's, 
So I'm guessing something like 49 or something like that. So they're, uh, yeah. So so that's that's very exciting. And and because so Scott Aronson was the the first to talk, and and Scott. He he talked about you know the you know testing for quantum supremacy so everyone in the audience kind of has an idea of what 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 that that means like roughly mm-hmm. and then for for John to say at the end oh look we you know we'll have a machine where we can actually you know test for this by the end of the year of course the verification or that that would go much longer but at least uh, it's it's really happening um, and and people are really excited oh well, I'm glad uh, to on, on this end of the community. Yeah, I'm very glad that people outside of the quantum community are also getting a little bit excited on this. Yeah, they are, and um, it's um, so, so. So one thing that came up a lot is, you know, there there's a large crypto, so, so cryptography community uh, here as well. Uh, in, uh, so for example, Martin Hellman uh, mm-hmm. and Whit Diffie, so who came up with public key distributions, so, and um, and they gave talks, and uh, and what people were really scared about, I guess, in, in that community, they said, oh, you know, you guys going to have factoring and you're going to break RSA. And, so this whole field of you know post quantum cryptography, this is where in um, classical um, uh, cryptography, you know, they're trying to come up with new algorithms, mm-hmm. you know, beyond RSA. Uh, but but I think John uh, and and Chris uh, sort of dampened that <laughs> a little bit, saying it's you know it's it's okay because actually for factoring you need uh, you need error correction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a big difference between you know physical qubits and logical qubits. So for algorithms that require you know algorithm which cryptographers are interested in, uh, they won't come online, you know, way, way, way down the line. It's like something like 300 million qubits. Right, right. <laughs> so, so they don't have to worry uh, so much, but there's definitely an interest. I mean, when I was talking to a lot of these guys, uh, so we, we also had like workshops as well, uh, as, as well as talks. Mm-hmm. And people were talking about QKD and say, oh, you know, um, you know, what, you know, you know, what we should be doing as, you know, the classical cryptography community to kind of catch up with that. So they were... Um, yeah, so they're, they're really becoming much more aware, much more aware than I expected when I came here. Well, I think they ha- they have to be to a certain extent, but as you said, uh, it's still going to take a little while before we get to the point where we're actually cracking um, even RSA, let alone some of these other more sophisticated uh, cryptographic techniques. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, if 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 something like factoring requires you know you know on the order of millions of qubits, maybe by that time there's a much better uh, classical you know cryptographic protocol. So it's, it's just that it's, it's worked so well now that people are not thinking about alternatives, but now they're, they're, they are thinking about alternatives. Well, so maybe. as long as they're thinking about it, then I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> but I was also looking over, obviously, you, you mentioned uh, your responsibilities for sort of blogging in relation to the, to the Laureate Forum, and we'll obviously put a link down uh, to your blog in the, the description of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But I noticed one of the posts, the, the one that you uh, put up yesterday, about mm-hmm. deep learning with John Hopcroft. Right, um, yes. And this kind of discussion, and, and basically other kinds of discussions that you may be happening uh, at the moment that, that you just think is really cool, not necessarily even related to quantum technology. Uh, well, so usually when I come to any kind of meeting, I always come with an aim in mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so, so I told you, like, my main aim was just writing, but my, my other aim is always my own research. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, um, and so, so I look at, you know, uh, questions in distributed, com- uh, computation, security aspects in distributed computation, like verification and things like that. Mm-hmm. And also uh, continuous variable quantum computation. Right. So this is the alternative. So instead of using qubits, uh, you use continuous variables like coherent states or squeeze states, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. 
Um, and what was uh, what I was looking for were you know people who worked in the classical uh, versions of you know the que- kind of questions that I was asking. So there there were a lot of our experts sort of in in those fields there. So we had a lot of nice discussions um, of what, what we could do kind of at the interface between these things. Um, and oh yeah, and then one particularly interesting conversation I had was with uh, Vince Cerf. Oh really? So he's yeah, he's he's usually called you know one of the fathers of uh, the internet because he invented the or he and I can't remember who, who the other person was um, the TCP IP uh, mm-hmm. protocol, which is a way of our sending information from one node uh, to another, uh, and it's uh, it's it's a layered uh, kind of protocol. You just don't send <laughs> data kind of directly over. Mm-hmm. You have to break you know the data down into packets. Um, and then, you know, these packets have labels as to, you know, where they came from and also labels as to the addresses to which, uh, where they're going. And then a protocol for like reassembling these packets once they reach the other side. Uh, and, and something that I've been interested in also with my other colleagues is, um, you know, what happens when we have a quantum internet? So if, you know, now imagine we're in a world where everyone has these quantum computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we're connected by quantum internet, but instead of sending each other classical pieces of data, what, you know, what happens when we send each other quantum pieces of data? So, you know, what is the uh, quantum equivalent of uh, the TCP um, IP protocol and, mm-hmm. and questions about that? So, so Vin became really, really interested, actually. Uh, he said he hadn't really thought about this before, but he will start thinking about it now. See who talked to um, some people, but we'll, we'll keep in touch about it, which is, which is very nice. Well, so what's your um, answer to this question? What is the quantum version of TCP/IP? Do you have any idea? Well, no. So, so me and my colleagues, so, so, so my colleagues is um, are writing a review about this right now. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it's very much a research uh, topic. You know, it's we're sort of at the beginning of that. People, uh, yeah, not, not. I mean, people people are interested, but not many people are actively working on it theoretically, and, and we're doing that right now. So, yeah. So Vince, uh, Cerf, I, mean, I mean, he's still he. He's sort of an evangelist, but he, he works at Google, correct? Or is he is he actually doing active research? At, well, he, he certainly talks to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so actually this morning we just heard a really fascinating talk on uh, interplanetary uh, internet. So, you know, when we send, you know, the Mars rover out there, you know, how do we, how do we uh, communicate you know, mm-hmm. by interplanetary internet? And apparently you, um, TCP... IP protocol no longer works very well because you have this uh, enormous delay. Like, like, light takes like 20 minutes <laughs> yep. from, and, and you can't really beat that. So, so then you need like other protocols, what he calls like the bundle protocol. Uh, so, so yeah, so there were all sorts of interesting questions, but, but also just, just meeting some of these people personally, like Vint, he's super, super nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you know he's he's so patient. You know like we taught for like three hours, and I only had to go away because there were other people waiting like for us for like an hour. And I felt really bad, so I said, you know, I'm sorry, I have to go now. <laughs> you excused uh, yourself just to to let other one let somebody else in line have a go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah, but I mean, we, we we had a really nice chat. So I mean, I'm thinking maybe if I want to, you know, go back and visit. So he says, you know, I'm welcome to come back, uh, to to go, you know, to to visit if I uh, if I remember in the U.S. So. Yeah, it's it's nice to keep up conversations because um, I think us in the quantum community, you know, I, I feel like we're in a bit of a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, of course everyone's excited about quantum computing and all these things, but uh, if you look at you know what people are doing outside, um, you know, it might be a different story. I mean, there, there are lots of other th- interesting things going on. So it's good to get a perspective, firstly, on sort of where we stand in sort of the quantum community, 
Uh, and also, a lot of the techniques uh, actually come from the classical side. So if you don't understand that very well, and you learn those techniques just from quantum physicists who get it sort of secondhand, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, then you're you're sort of losing out maybe on a little bit. So it's nice to kind of get direct interaction with people who actually do sort of the real thing, uh, so to speak. Uh, and well, I can yeah. certainly imagine that being a great way to sort of open your eyes a little bit and, and figure out what happens to be, as you say, outside of our bubble. But you mentioned that, that the Heidelberg Forum was much more um, focused around sort of uh, computer science and mathematics. Um, yes. Is there more, I mean, is it really evenly spread between the two or is, we've been talking a lot about computer science. Um, oh, so, sorry. Um, so, Simon, that's completely my fault because oh. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm uh, much more uh, computer science oriented than I am pure mathematics just because of my, my background. Oh, sure, so sure. I won't be able to say much at all about any of the pure math ones. So, for example, there's, there was a talk on asymptotic group theory which I didn't go to because <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a little bit technical. Oh, and you, you wouldn't be too, able too to explain it to me anyway, even if... Yeah, I mean, um, and there were other... T- so, for example, um, oh, who was it? So, um, so there were people, you know, who proved generalization to Poincaré's conjecture, you know, who were there. So, sort of... Oh, okay. Uh, so, 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 so there is actually... So, in terms of numbers, there's quite a good balance between mathematics, like sort of pure mathematics and computer science. Mm-hmm. But I just I just don't know about it because I only go to the computer science ones myself because well, that, that just seems much more relevant for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> and how many um, sort of laureates do they invite? Is um, I mean, how big is the conference? So it's about two hundred participants altogether, roughly. Um, and in terms of the number of laureates, I'm just counting now actually because they gave us a booklet. Uh, about 20, maybe something order like that. Quite, quite, quite a large number, and it's a very good list. So, for example, Sir Michael Attia mm-hmm. um, is here as well. He's he's really, really funny. He's in his late 80s, and you don't, um, and he has you know this this crane, and he's very energetic, and he's yeah, he's super, super lovely. Um, so, so he's from the more math, math mathematical side, but you know he also worked on no, his work is also relevant for you know quantum field theory and all these um, topics. I heard that um, he was giving Scott and Seth a bit of a, a hard time about quantum computing. Yeah, I mean, okay, so so th- so this this was this is my conjecture um, as to what kind of what happened because yeah, so 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 me and Michael we, we chatted for for quite a bit um, on on the first day and so so he's good friends with Roger Penrose mm-hmm. and and as you might know you know Roger has his sort of theory of the human brain and uh-huh. you know the, yes, the quantum yes. effects in the human brain so so I guess. Michael's maybe trying to bring bring that up, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, you know, Scott and, and Seth, they they kind of gave gave their view um, about that. <laughs> oh, so he was talking. He, his arguments were about whether he was sort of leading towards the direction of is it, the brain a quantum computer, that kind of thing. Well, um, I, I'd say it's my conjecture because he didn't. I mean, it was not said in those words. But my feeling from his question and mm-hmm. the way that Scott and Seth replied, uh, I had a feeling it was sort of beating about that bush. Um, but that, but that's my personal conjecture. Right. You just got yeah. the feeling that that's the direction he was heading in. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, but that was that was my um, that was my feeling. Yes. And you said today's the the last day at the at the. Well, I suppose it's Friday in Europe now, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is Friday. Oh, it's it's Thursday for you. No, right. no, it's Friday night. Yeah, so oh, right, because Friday during the uh, okay. 
be Friday during yeah. the afternoon your time, wouldn't it? Yes. So everything is, is finished or is there still some sort of lagging sessions going into the evening and then there's oh, just another uh, catch-up event? Uh, no, it's not because, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is more of a networking opportunity for, mm -hmm. for young researchers. So they actually give a lot of time for just, you know, social interaction. So, for example, uh, for, you know, most of the day on Wednesday, we had this four-hour, you know, boat ride oh, where okay. we could you know, just, 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 like, chat with people. Um, so... After this, so maybe at 4.30, there's a castle tour. So Heidelberg has a castle. Um, and, you know, we'll go around and, you know, just uh, pick up conversations with people um, that, that we meet and just continue uh, talking about our research. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like to me, I said, uh, or like I said before, to me, it's been surprisingly scientifically fruitful. <laughs> well, then that's, uh, that's, yeah. a, that's potentially a good segue as to the next part of our conversation is to, as you mentioned, um, you, were, you were also thinking about going to the forum in order to, to complement your own research and, as you say, mm -hmm. talk with people who are, you know, not exclusively quantum but obviously have been running in classical circles for, for many, many years and may have some things that could be useful for your research and, and for those of us who do quantum computation and communications. So did you, mm -hmm. have any, did you have any sort of rough ideas before you went to Germany on what kind of topics you wanted to sort of address um, with these laureates or, or other people who happen to be there? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I certainly had in mind to talk to Vint um, about the, the internet and mm -hmm. you know, the relevance to, to quantum computing. So, so that was definitely on my mind. And also uh, John Copcroft on, on deep learning. Mm -hmm. um, so like the interface between our machine learning and, and quantum theory, because that's something that I've been thinking about. Um, and, and also just, just reading you know, from some of the abstracts, you know, there are people who work on you know, security-related questions uh, mm -hmm. in computing. So, And I mean, <laughs> did, has the other students, I mean, because they've obviously come from a, a fairly, well, I shouldn't just say students, because it's not just students, it's just young yeah, researchers. So, so that, so, um, uh, so PhD students, um, postdocs, and also some uh, newly minted assistant professors. <laughs> some newly minted assistant. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, not so, a bad so, yeah. term. I'm going to have to steal that one. Um, <laughs> but again, it, uh, as you mentioned, you're pretty much one of the only quantum computing people who have, who have gone. Um, mm -hmm. And you've said that you've sort of been quite popular in regards to the kind of work that's being presented on stage and being part of that field. Um, mm -hmm. So have they come to you to sort of, you know, instead of you going out saying, well, you know, I'm thinking about this and what the quantum version of that would look like, have they actually come to you and said, well, we've got these problems in classical computer science and maybe quantum could help us with this or quantum could help us with that? So I actually just received an email this morning about that. So mm -hmm. there, there are mathematicians who, you know, hear about this, oh, you know, this quantum uh, computer can, you know, um, improve uh, or, or maybe run some algorithms faster. So mm -hmm. um, I actually have a paper that was sent to me mm -hmm. and, and I was asked if I could look through the algorithms to see if quantum computers can do them faster. Um, and there are people who work. So another young researcher who works on persistent homology, just in pure mathematics. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I said, well, you know, if you, if you, if you know, like Seth wrote a paper with Palis and Adi and, um, uh, and, and others on a quantum algorithm, like to calculate Betty numbers. So that, that was, and uh, yeah, and he was very interested in that. Um, there were, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think those are the two that uh, are most memorable. 
but but people do come up and you know say you know what is this you know quantum quantum stuff about uh yeah could you say that there's been any kind of you know eureka moments for you in terms of hearing something new and saying hang on you know this is something i know we can do better in quantum or this could open up an entirely new methodology for communication or encryption or something like that have you been lucky enough to have that moment well, there were, there, were, there were moments only, like, they were new to me, which mm-hmm. I discovered have a, someone has already written up quantum algorithms for us. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so, that's terrible. so <laughs> um, but, but it's good because now, now I have a reading list of things to do. Mm-hmm. But, but it's really mostly just, um, I mean, my aim is really just to hunt around for questions, for interesting questions. Mm-hmm. Because whatever interesting questions we have in the quantum side, they're... Um, you know, people would have asked, you know, started asking these questions for the classical side. So I guess the classical side, they would have had a larger store of questions, um, so, 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 to, so to speak, on that. Um, so mainly in sort of distributed computing and, you know, security questions related to that. But also in continuous variable uh, computation. So uh, I, I don't know a lot of researchers on classical analog uh, computation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually met a researcher here and we had a really nice sort of chat about because I, um, one of the advantages that's claimed for analog computing is that you can run some algorithms with a lower uh, energy um, input. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they were discussing, you know, if you know, these sorts of advantages would carry over into the quantum case uh, and, and also in, in analog computation in the classical case, there's, you know, there's a minimal clock speed. Uh, that they have to contend with, mm-hmm. and you know, just brought, you know, just let me to think uh, to think about uh, in the in the quantum case, if we use continuous variable quantum computation, we can maybe uh, improve that or or not, or is it just uh, set by the you know energy time uncertainty limit? Right. So so we ha- we so we had some discussions related to that, but it, but it really sort of clarifies some of the issues. That we had because I think uh, a lot of our conclusions, you know, led to it's really the continuous valued nature of quantum mechanics um, that is equivalent to the classical analog computation. So, like a qubit is continuous valued, but it's not a continuous variable. It's a quantum state. No, that's true. It has binary outcomes, even though the state itself is continuous. Yes, but, but, but a lot of mm, it's an sorry, interesting. Simon. Sorry, it's an interesting question because I always like to sort of pin people down as to. You know, everyone has their favorite system and everyone has their sort of favorite uh, piece of work that they want to work on. And, and you've done a bit of work in continuous variables. Um, what attracted you to this method of computation? Because now we're seeing not only the advancement of the actual technology, whether it's various experimental groups such as Akira Furosara and such and such, but we've recently mm-hmm. seen the startup Xanadu. Um, from Christian Weedbrook in Toronto. Of oh, course, yeah, I know he's my collaborator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I know Christian. Um, so yeah, so so for me, it's really firstly the methodology. So I actually started my physics life in high energy physics. Um, so you know, in quantum field theory and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So somehow, so for for physicists in from that background. Uh, continuous variables are much more natural. Yeah. <laughs> so, so qubit, qubits are weird, right? So, <laughs> so, so, I, so I had to learn what a qubit, qubit was when I started in quantum information. Like, I didn't know what a qubit was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so in that case, it was much more natural uh, from, from that point of view. And also because I'm interested in, in, re, in resources, but in resources like energy. And when you talk about continuous variables, somehow that, that, comes, uh, that comes more naturally. Uh, and also, I'm just interested in... I guess the the distinction between 
between you know discrete and, and continuous variables and you know what what kind of extra resources um, that you can get um, out of that so I mean, there, you, were, like, you were talking about briefly before about whether or not continuous variables um, could offer some kind of advantage when it comes to algorithmic development and in the classical case we kind of know that that analog computers are naturally better at solving certain problems um, generally speaking, analog computers are quite good at solving differential equations. Um, but yeah. obviously, the old analog computers have been taken over to a certain, well, pretty much completely um, by the digital framework that we have now. Um, is the same, can the same sort of thing be said for continuous variables? Do we know that um, they're just naturally better at solving or have more amenable algorithms to them? Or... Are they just basically equivalent to the qubit models and there are engineering reasons why we might want to do it? So, so this is a very good question. So it's always claimed in, in, a, in a lot of papers. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've been claiming in one of my papers that, um, you know, because it's continuous value that somehow it's better at solving continuous value problems. Mm -hmm. I like differential equations. Um, but it's... I, I, and I mean, I looked everywhere and I asked, you know, everybody I, um, I could think of, but I, I don't think there's a clear answer to, to, to this question. I mean, there are, um, I mean, yeah, as you might know, like Dominic Berry is in, in Macquarie. Yep. Uh, he, he came up with um, a quantum algorithm that was solving linear, linear differential equations. Uh, and you can also have quantum equivalents. I mean, there is, so Christian had a paper recently on uh, doing, you know, matrix inversion like the HHL. Our algorithm mm -hmm. using continuous variables. So, and if you can do matrix inversion, I mean, basically you can do, you know, uh, you can solve linear differential equations. Yeah. So, uh, so, so from that perspective, I mean, you know, they're both able to do the same algorithms. Uh, but as to what is better, I mean, you have to define what you mean by better. You mean, you know, saving some kind of resource. Yeah. Well, I suppose I mean, in that case, that's that's what we would, so, would be talking about having more. But, Qubit efficient, or in this case, CV mode efficient. So, so in order to like for um, in order to have a fair comparison, uh, I mean the the resources used is different. So, you know, you can have you know you either use lots of qubits or maybe you input more energy in creating a particular quantum state. So, for example, um, so so Christian and I we had a paper on uh, how to do factoring if we use a continuous variable. Mm -hmm. So, so it turns out actually it's it's not so much about you know the resources being more or less. It's more like you're using different kinds of resources and there's this kind of trade-off. So instead of using a lot lots of uh, qubits for factoring, you use more squeezing mm -hmm. uh, in, in in your continuous variable. So it really depends on what you as an experimentalist uh, prefer. I mean it's uh, but in terms of resources they somehow. They're somehow equivalent in, in, in that sense. Like it's, it's either energy, you're trading energy for a number of qubits uh, and things like that. So what do you think uh, of the prospect of uh, actually building a large-scale continuous variable uh, quantum computer, either in optics or potentially some other physical system that has continuous variables? Uh, so you should ask Christian, actually. He's working on that right now. <laughs> I, might I might ask him if he wants to do a podcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, so I don't, I, I don't know what, what I should say about that because, um, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a big issue with continuous variables, namely there's no real, um, okay, so, 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 so um, with the error correction, error correction, error yeah. correction is, yes, I was at Eric, I mean, I mean, uh, Nick Mendocucci, I mean, he has a proposal for doing error correction, uh, but it's, it's still, I mean, yeah, it's, 
it's not as well established, certainly, as the uh, discrete variable. No, and Nick uh, was on the podcast um, uh, about six months ago, and we had a, a bit of oh, a long yeah, conversation okay, yes. about uh, the issue of quantum error correction in the context of continuous variables. Uh, yes, and, and also something else to be aware is that uh, a lot of the continuous variable algorithms that's out there, they're, they're in terms of physical qubits. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you want to do an error correction mechanism, like what, what Nick uh, what Nick Rowe described, is that you need to encode in logical qubits. Mm -hmm. So there's an encoding called the GKP uh, encoding, where you have a continuous variable representing a logical zero uh, and then a logical one. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you're still doing <laughs> kind of uh, discrete computation. Mm -hmm. And, and then you, you sort of need to rewrite kind of your uh, your circuit um, in a way to, to accommodate for that. So it's um, yeah, it's it's kind of like a two tiered level level of work. Well, that just so, means so that there's, that there's more stuff to do. There's more things to find. Yes, it, there is. But so, sorry, just to kind of answer your original question, the reason mm -hmm. I, I bring that up is that I, I think the near term quantum uh, computer uh, computation for continuous variables. Are, is uh, not towards fault tolerance. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, in, even in the qubit side, it's not uh, fault tolerance is still a, a while away. But I, I would say even more so for continuous variables. So maybe for continuous variable concentrating on algorithms which don't require much um, much error correction. You know, some you know these some of these simulation problems and optimization problems, um, and, and maybe looking at like algorithms sort of within that kind of domain uh, would be much more useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's my view. I mean, that was one of the uh, questions that I was hoping to ask, whether or not uh, there were discussions within the forum in relation to this, this desperate search that everyone has at the moment for um, something marketable or something useful that can be done in this sort of non-error-corrected space. Um, people have, and we've mentioned it in this, in this episode of the podcast, this idea of quantum supremacy, um, the idea of, of being able to run a computation that you can provably say is, is classically too hard to do. However, it has no applications, as you know. Um, yes. So yes. has there been much talk or has there been, you know, has anything sort of come out of the last week or so? Or maybe even general, maybe discussions you've had beyond the Laureate Forum um, in this kind of area. So this, this is an excellent question to ask. Um, so, so, so Scott, when he started, you know, he said, you know, his main motivation is, is not for anything useful, um, but rather to disprove the extended, uh, church Turing, uh, thesis, right? So, so really just to show supremacy, mm -hmm. but actually, so after Scott, everybody else was saying, you know, um, I guess talking to the entire community of mathematician, computer scientists, please think about new algorithms mm -hmm. that are useful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, there was some pleading, uh, there. So yeah, okay, so, it was. Uh, <laughs> yes, so so that's so that message definitely getting out. But sorry, Simon, I, I forgot to mention something before on the subject continuous variables as we were mm -hmm. talking um, about the scale. Um, so so for Osawa and his group in Japan, they can create uh, very large uh, cluster states using continuous variables. Mm -hmm. uh, so so in uh, in the discrete case, you know, they can maybe do at most maybe up to ten. Right, right now, 10 qubits. But for, for Asawa, they can do cluster states, you know, up to a million. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, so there's definitely much more. So th that's definitely a motivation for going along the continuous variable route. So I, I wanted to mention that because I realized I forgot to mention something important there. Um, I, think, I think if I remember, Nick and I, we, we spoke a little bit about that experiment because I think he was involved in it, if I remember correctly. 
Ah, yes, yes, yes. Although I have seen, I don't know if you've seen the same uh, paper, there was a, a paper that came out just the other day, but it was a theoretical proposal from Akira Furusawa's group about ah. a, a much larger structure for creating even larger continuous variable clusters. I don't know, have you ah, seen okay. this? No, I, I must I must have missed it because I've I've just been concentrating on on doing this um, at the forum. Oh but damn! Because I, I would I, have I, asked you about it if you had read it. Oh sorry, but <laughs> I, I would actually also say Simon, like, um, so so when they, I mean, it's not enough to do these large cluster gates. I mean, the the main thing, I mean, the the crucial thing, is to do a qubit gate. Mm -hmm. So um, so so a qubit, uh, you know, if you can do up to qubit gates, then you can get universal computation. Uh, but at the moment, that's that's the missing piece. So even if you have like a 200 million cluster state, if you don't have a qubit gate, you're not going to do a, be able to do quantum computation. That's better than than classical, or that's faster than classical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So 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 that's that's still the big challenge for that's, for both qubit and uh, continuous variable communities. So that that's uh, the major challenge you see with continuous variables, or is it more harkening yes. back to? Um, what you said before about uh, shoring up the error correction and finding more sophisticated techniques with a little bit more power in it. Um, I'll say in the near term, it's the uh, it's the qubit gate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. But uh, Christian also has a proposal. Christian and Kevin Marshall, I think Christian's student, have a proposal for um, like approximating qubit gates. And also for Sawa, of course, you know he has lots of <laughs> different ways of approximating qubit gates, but, you know, to do an actual qubit gate, that's useful. Yeah, uh, that's still, I, remember I remember Akira talking a lot about his uh, his approaches, but uh, I must admit, I have not been keeping up with continuous variable quantum computation much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, it's the, the qubit community is, uh, I mean, there's a lot to do there. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting towards uh, the end of our 45 minutes uh, for this episode of the podcast, but I, I thought I'd give you the opportunity, first of all, um, if there was anything from the forum that we haven't brought up that uh, you thought was quite enlightening or quite interesting to see or any conversations that you feel like sharing uh, that are particularly exciting. Um, yeah, actually, so um, I had discussions with... Uh, so, so, so there's a big kind of cybersecurity community here. So, uh, for example, I spoke to Patricia Arias and Antonio Campello, and they work on, uh, you know, different aspects of cybersecurity. So Patricia works on, um, you know, how to replace passwords. So, so this is something that I don't think we, we think of so much in, in, the, in the quantum world, but if you can imagine in the future, if you want more security, you know, having a single password is in, in, insufficient. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess when people think about, you know, in that community, think about, oh, you know, factoring breaks RSA, we have to think of, you know, some replacement for, for single passwords. Um, and in that kind of case, people are thinking about using multiple kinds of signatures that mm -hmm. you need to, uh, for authentication. So there's something called uh, adaptive uh, authentication where you need a lot of, you know, biometric uh, signals, mm -hmm. you know, belonging, you know, only to you, and then, you know, how, how to authenticate our people through through those kinds of signatures. Um, yes, so, so, so I thought that was very interesting. And, uh, and I think Tony talked about sort of mathematical foundations for, for, these, kinds of, uh, for these kinds of issues. Uh, it also talked about sort of big data privacy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can imagine the future when, um, you know, people uploading the genomic data, um, but, you know, preserving their names, for example. Right, right. Uh, it is possible. I mean, there are going to where it's possible to actually guess who you are, <laughs> like just with the information about you, but, you know, not associated with you. 
Is there any uh, way so that I that they can you know are they talking any way to get rid of this two factor authentication so I don't have to carry around my cell phone every time I want to log in somewhere? Uh, so, sorry, could you repeat the question, Simon? I was just I, asking I, I just whether or not they had figured out any way to do better two factor authentication so I don't have to carry around my cell phone every time I want to log in somewhere. Um, no, I'm sorry that that didn't come up, or maybe I, I didn't hear. No. Oh. That's disappointing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Sorry, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just really like them to get rid of it if possible. Oh, <laughs> um, but but in another case, I mean that kind of improves like security for you. So it's. Um, I know, yeah. but you know, I'd like it's, them. It's to it's make it's them really easy. to help you, Simon. <laughs> it is supposed to help me, but I always forget my phone, and I don't very often get hacked. So yeah, you know, swings yeah. and roundabouts. It's, it works. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Nana, as I, as I usually do before we end these conversations, um, is there anything happening that you would like to plug? Any interesting new stuff? Obviously, your blog we will link to, and I'm sure we'll see some uh, other great posts in the next week or two. Um, yeah, well, actually, just, just, just as a warning, I mean, the, the other um, blog posts I'll put up, they're mostly introductions for quantum com um, computing sort of for this, for this community. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm blogging mostly for, for this community. So if you're more of a quantum person, I guess you won't get that much out of it. I'm just, yeah. Uh, but, but the other one, um, you know, maybe I'll put up some posts on, like, just conversations I have with people. Mm -hmm. No, uh, I think... I maybe think, necessarily quantum-related. I think even within the quantum community... Everyone's so focused on their little aspect of the puzzle that uh, a lot of these more general posts and a lot of these more sort of instructional posts uh, help more people than you think. Okay, cool. I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would certainly encourage more of them um, from anyone who wants to do a bit of writing because uh, I, th I think it's, it not only helps new incoming students, but I think it helps you know those of us who have been in the game a little bit longer and tend to forget uh, the basics. Uh, but yeah, this is what I found really helpful speaking to people who've you know never heard of a qubit before because I had to find myself just first explaining what that is. Um, and actually, I, I, I feel it's helped me understand a lot of the uh, foundational principles in a lot of what we do as well. Just um, when I try to explain to somebody else and I, and I don't have, um, I can't use the crutch of you know some technical terms. Uh, and some equations to kind of aid my explanation. So I sort of have to really go down to that kind of pictorial level. And that, that, that has helped me, I think. Yeah, and, and I, could, I could believe that um, in the sense of, of having to sit there and not just wave your hands and sort of go, well, come on, don't you know what a qubit is? Um, <laughs> it's generally not very good enough for people who don't do this for a living. Yeah, it's qubits are actually really weird. So I, I think we're taking that for granted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I... Yeah. I could believe that. I could certainly believe that. But in any case, um, no, no, I'd love to thank you again uh, for taking the time no. out. and, and no, th th Thank you, Simon. Yeah, I've been a long-time listener, so thank you. <laughs> no, it was great. And, uh, yeah, I hope you have a, a, a ball of a time uh, while you're still in Europe and uh, a safe trip thank back to, uh, to Singapore. Thank you very much. So, everyone, thank you very much for downloading the podcast again. I apologize again for the delay between uh, our last episode and this episode. I will try not to do it again. Um, and please tell everyone that you know that uh, the podcast has shown back up again and you can, you can start downloading again. So, thanks again for downloading and Nana, thanks again for your time. Uh, thank you, Simon.